One of the things that, that I've been doing in my spare time is listening to podcasts on leadership and uh, thinking about how to be a good leader as, uh, as a lead pastor here at, uh, at Granville Chapel. And so I came upon this series uh, in Netflix, How to Become a Tyrant. And uh, don't worry, I wasn't watching this for uh, continuing education here at Granville as trying to learn how to become, I'm not going to become a dictator anytime soon. But what, uh, as I watched, this series was examining uh, the lives of Hitler and Mussolini and Genghis Khan, uh, Joseph Stalin, all these dictators in history. And what it did was it analyzes what made these men so powerful and so popular in their time and in their setting. And one of the things I took away from watching some of this was simply that people need leadership. People are, are looking for leaders, especially when there's something, some situation or circumstance from which people feel they're recovering, uh, they're feeling discontent or unhappy, some kind of collective grief or circumstance that, that they've experienced together, like post-World War I Germany. People were looking for someone to get them out of that situation, someone who knew how they felt and could understand them from the inside. I believe that's true for all of us universally, not just for people who are looking for dictators. We're all looking for someone to guide us and lead us in life. In fact, much of our journeys is about looking for someone to guide us, isn't it? Of course, when we're kids, we find almost all of that guidance and leadership from our parents because they are literally everything to us to provide for us, for our lives, for everything that we are. And we look to them for everything that we can, uh, for, for our whole world. But of course, as we grow and we mature, we take on other role models, guides and teachers in life. Some of them are physically or literally our school teachers. And so I still remember two of my favorite teachers from elementary school, Mr. Shane and Mr. Fisher. I remember how Mr. Shane gave me this space in grade four to be creative and to do things that were outside of normal class curricula, explore some of my special interests. I remember how Mr. Fisher would spend time with us after school on these special projects working on science. Later on, as I became a teenager in church, I remember how the youth worker gathered us together as a small group and took us aside and, and, do, and did Bible studies with us, but not only studied the Bible with us, also played basketball with us and volleyball with us and just spent time with us being a friend and mentor. I remember a pastoral mentor who walked on, alongside me in a very difficult season in my life when it felt like everything in my life was, was falling apart. And he walked with me with gentleness and humility and sensitivity. This is the list of some of my mentors, my leaders in life. Aren't we all looking for someone to follow? And I'm sure you have your own list of leaders that you followed in your life. Teachers, guides, wise women and men in your life that you've learned from, that have become role models for you. Perhaps sometimes unbeknownst to them, 
perhaps sometimes very intentionally. Today, what I want to talk about is discipleship. Or really, another way of speaking about it is followership. Because that's really what discipleship is about. Following. Following a leader. The New Testament word for for discipleship, actually, often correlates with following. So one of the ways that's described in the New Testament often is just following Jesus, following after Jesus. And that's what the, the disciples did above all in the Gospels. They, they followed him with their lives. They went where he went. They did what he did. He, they did what he told them to do. They spent time with him. They followed him. They listened to him. They obeyed him. What we've been talking about in this series of sermons and messages is the gospel message, a good news. I called it rediscovering the good news of Jesus. And we've talked about how the, at the very climax of the story of the good news of Jesus is the fact that Jesus is our Lord, that Jesus is King. So the story of the gospel is not just about our salvation and our need. It incorporates that. It does not exclude that, but it's so much bigger and broader and wider and richer than just our experience and our need. Because the good news of Jesus is precisely that. It has to do with the person of Jesus, the story of Jesus, who he was in history, who he was in his historical context in the first century. He was a real person in real space and time, like you and I, had a physical body. It was living in a time and culture in Palestine in the first century. Completely independent of our needs, our thoughts, our feelings. And the wonderful thing is that the more we understand about who Jesus was in history, in his time and culture, the more relevant and more powerful his message and his person becomes for us today. And that's part of this good news of Jesus that we're trying to uncover and understand more of. As we've been saying, that the, the story begins when God picks, a hand picks a group of people in the ancient world. So this is about 4,000 years ago, roughly around 2000 BC. He picks, hand picks a family, Abraham, and decides to work through this family to bless the whole world. And then the story continues. But the high point of the story really is the enthronement of a king for this family, which has become now a nation. So this is fast forward now another uh, thousand years. So King David is enthroned as the greatest king of Israel. That happened around 2000 BC. That's about 3,000 years ago in our history as we think back. But as a whole, these kings simply do not live up to their responsibility and their task. The kings are supposed to be the representative of God to the people and to represent the people to God, a kind of mediator, a kind of a priest, if you will. But the kings as a whole, they fail as an institution, and what happens is exile, a loss of king, loss of kingship, loss of their temple, the presence of God. 
And the good news of the New Testament is that Jesus now fulfills this role that Israel was looking for in that time. Jesus is the Messiah. And we talked about how Messiah simply means the anointed one. And the anointed one really refers to someone who is the king because that was who is, first of all, anointed in the Old Testament, the king. So Jesus is, Jesus Christ is Jesus Messiah, Jesus the king. I said that that is the sweet spot of the gospel message. Now, as we've been going through this series, you might be thinking to yourself, well, I've, I've heard you know, lots of gospel messages. I've heard lots of sermon series, lots of different emphases in the church and through my time in the church. And if you've been in the church any length of time, you'll, have, you'll probably have heard hundreds of sermons, maybe thousands of sermons, lots of different emphases, lots of good teaching, I'm sure. And so you're probably thinking, well, this is just another message, just another series, just another theme that we're going through. But I want to ask you, is the nature of this series just another theme? Just another series that we're kind of going through, that after we kind of go through it, we kind of go, oh, okay, that was fine, that was fun, and we'll kind of move on to something else. What's next? Is it really that kind of a theme? Think about it. We're talking about the good news of who Jesus is the central founding message of the New Testament. I think you'll begin to realize, if you reflect on it, just how foundational this message is. So let me do a little review of what we talked about so far, and then where we're going to head in the next several weeks. So yeah, we can just have the next slide. Um, we started with distortions and distractions. Some of the message, some of the ways that the message has been kind of distorted over time. We talked about the sweet spot that Jesus is Lord, Jesus is King. We talked about what kind of a king Jesus is. Not the kind of kings of the ancient world, nor maybe the kings of today, but a different kind of king who would die for his people. We talked about how we share that good news, especially in our words and our, uh, in our conduct in the way that we live. Uh, Raphael last week talked about the church and repentance. This week, we're gonna talk about discipleship. So we just go to the next slide. I call it closing the gap. Next, we could, we're gonna talk about how we share this good news with our words. Uh, we'll talk about, we will talk about transformation and power and the Holy Spirit. And finally, we'll close with talking on worship, the implications for worship. And these are just some of the topics that kind of flow out as, as I was thinking about this series of the good news, flow out of this fundamental, basic, foundational teaching of what is the good news. And there are all sorts of things that really are tied in with and are implied with what is the good news of Jesus. These are just some of them. And today, as I mentioned, I want to talk about discipleship or followership, maybe, is another way of putting it. The subtitle of my message is Closing the Gap. Closing the Gap. So, I remember when I traveled in Hong Kong, 
Um, one of the things everybody did was take the MTR. It's called the Mass Transit Railway, and it's much more efficient than driving. Very few people drive in Hong Kong, only the wealthiest people, because gas, you can't even find gas stations, and the roads are, are, are not that great. But with the MTR, you can go anywhere and get anywhere uh, very quickly, very efficiently. I remember, though, as the doors opened and closed on every MTR station, there would be this this voice, this lady's voice that came on in Chinese first and then in English, please mind the gap in a British accent. And I think it's a British phrase. I don't think we, we don't really say that in, in North America. Because there was this gap between the MTR and the platform. And because of this rush of people, this is a very typical common um, a picture of what would happen on an MTR station. It's just full of people, crowds, everyone trying to get on and off the MTR at once. And these MTRs go fast and they come frequently. And this gap between the platform and the MTR is a dangerous space. You do not want to be in that gap when that MTR is rushing by or leaving. Mind the gap. It's a dangerous space. I think sometimes the way that we've taught the good news of Jesus, there's this gap between our salvation and then our discipleship. And that's a dangerous space, I think, because we feel that the gospel is all about us, it's for us, but then what do we do as saved people? What do we do with our salvation? Because really we think about, well, we want, to become, we want people to become disciples, but how do we get them to be disciples? Because we talked about salvation as something that is just for us, just something to benefit our needs, but how do we move them? There's this gap between salvation and discipleship. Sometimes we've told people, all you need to do to be saved is to believe that Jesus loves you, that Jesus forgives your sin. All you have to do is to believe in him. And we quote John 3.16, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. And that's it. You're saved. Now, this is right. This is true. This is scriptural. But how do we move then from salvation to discipleship? How do we move from people just being content with being saved to become active followers of Jesus? Well, I think the better way is to start in the right place with the right message about who Jesus is. Because the good news about who Jesus is is not just that he is someone who has saved you or wants to save you, but he's someone who also wants to lead you and guide you, mentor you, if you will. He wants to be your king. I think something that's really revealing, though, about the Gospels is that even though he was a king, what he actually looked like in the New Testament was someone who was a teacher. So back to the Gospel, the story of the Old Testament for a moment. Remember, Israel is looking for a king, a Messiah, an anointed one, a Mashiach in the Hebrew, someone to reign on a throne and make things right in this world. 
not just for Israel, but through Israel to all the world, to all the nations, someone to reign in power and make things right. And it would have been easy for someone to take up that position. In a sense, the Jewish people were primed to receive someone in that position, this kind of a king who would exert their power and authority and reign in power. They'd seen their God act in history, their collective memory of how Moses, God through Moses defeated the greatest king of ancient civilization at that time, the Pharaoh of Egypt, through might, mighty powers and signs and wonders. They remember how God worked amongst them. Amongst them. And even in the time of Jesus, there were political factions that existed among the Jewish people ready to take up arms for the coming Messiah. In fact, you will have read, and we heard read today, one of Jesus' disciples came from one of these factions, Simon the Zealot. It would have been easy for Jesus to have taken this other route. And in fact, in Jewish history, this is exactly what happened. In the generation just previous to Jesus' generation, so from about 167 BC to about 37 BC, so Jesus' grandparents' age, or Jesus' parents' age would still recall this time, there was a family called Judas Maccabeus and the Maccabean family, and they led this revolt against the end of the Greek Empire at that time, the Seleucid Empire, and they won. They were victorious, and they reigned over Palestine, a Jewish kingdom, for about 100 years. The Jewish people still remember this. This is before Rome came and then installed their puppet king, Herod, Herod the Great. So this kind of a political revolution would have been still on the collective memory of this people's minds. The Gospels tell us that Jesus was extremely popular. Crowds came to hear him. It would not have been difficult, I think, historically speaking, for Jesus one day to start to incite the crowds to take up arms. In fact, you remember when Jesus is arrested, Peter has a sword, right? And he chops off the ear of one of the guards. Well, it would not have been hard for Jesus, I think, to go this other route. But Jesus didn't do that. He was a certain kind of king. And this king, rather than assemble armies and commanders and generals, what he did was he assembled a group of people around him, disciples, students, and he spent time with them, and he taught them, he fed them, he healed them, and he loved them, and he suffered for them, and he died for them, and then he was raised for them, and then before he left them, he commissioned them, he commanded them to do the things that they saw him do, to love each other the way that he loved them, to suffer for one another the way that he suffered for them, to take up their cross and follow him the way that he took up his cross for them. 
How do we close this gap between salvation and discipleship? Well, it's by realizing that discipleship and salvation are not two separate things. Discipleship is not the second step after salvation. Discipleship and salvation really are two ways of expressing the same thing. It's not just something we do after we're saved. If we understand the good news of Jesus properly, rightly, fully, and we say that Jesus is King, Jesus is Lord, then the natural implication of that confession is that we want to follow him. We want him to rule over our lives. We recognize that we need a ruler, we need a leader, we need a mentor beyond ourselves and the mentors of this world to rule and guide and lead us in life. Salvation and discipleship are really the same thing. And our response is to follow, to listen, and to obey. Think about it a little bit like this. It's kind of like uh, buying roasted chicken at Costco. And um, so roasted chicken at Costco, you guys have bought those roasted chickens, right? They're called lost leaders in business terms because actually Costco doesn't make any money from these rotisserie chickens that are so delicious and so cheap and they actually lose money on them. I don't know how much they lose, but you notice that they place them all the way back at the back of the store. So they're betting that you can't walk through the doors of Costco up all the way down, up on the aisle, see all their merchandise, buy a Costco chicken, and then walk down the other aisle, seeing all the other merchandise, and leave with just a Costco chicken. And they're right. They're absolutely right, because what happens usually is you come out of Costco with not just a chicken, but also a kayak, and maybe a, a, you know, a large 60-inch screen TV or something. You just can't stop yourself. Well, I think sometimes the church has thought about salvation and discipleship in the same way. What, what we're saying sometimes is we're really offering you salvation. It's free. We just want you to believe. But then what we're really thinking is, well, what we really want you is to become a member of the church. We want you to join a small group. We want you to be committed and be faithful to tithe and to give to others and to be good to your neighbors and to love one another. All these good things, but that's a different kind of message. There's this gap again between salvation and discipleship. It seems to me a better way to talk about it is to remember that the main message, the main message of the good news of Jesus is that he is the Lord. He is the king of this universe, the son of God, to begin there and simply tell people that that is the truth that we have accepted. This is not the kind of truth that you can just believe in your head and not be changed, not be moved and transformed. Transformed. It requires you not just to believe it intellectually, but to get up and to follow him, to pick up and obey him, to do something with your life. 
Come follow me, says Jesus. Now, one of the interesting things about the culture of that time was that rabbis and teachers, they did not choose their students. In fact, it was the opposite way around. Students, prospects of students, would look for rabbis, would look for teachers to follow, and they would then go up to that teacher and ask them to follow them. But the Gospels universally tell us that Jesus approached his disciples, just as we had read out to us by Matt. He is the one who selected them. He's the one who appoints them. There are some people in the New Testament that actually approach Jesus and want to be his disciples, but what happens in those instances? For example, the rich young man, right? The parable, or not the parable, the story of the rich young man. Jesus actually turns them away because he realizes that they're not actually looking for him, they're looking for something else. And so the paradigm is completely different. Jesus doesn't just look for people who are looking for something from him. Jesus selects and appoints and calls disciples to himself. So when Jesus calls out to Peter, and to Andrew and all the other disciples, what we see that there's this compelling call. He calls them, and then immediately they drop their nets and they follow him. They drop everything. They stop everything they're doing, and they start following this Jesus, this Messiah. I remember when I was a student at Regent College, and I was wanting to learn about the Bible, To be honest, I think one of the things I was really looking for at that time was not just learning about the Bible, but was actually a mentor, someone to follow, someone who would actually take me under their wings, so to speak. And I remember sitting in these classes, listening to these lectures and classes, and I would watch these and listen to these professors, mostly from afar, and I would just be learning and soaking up so much knowledge about the Bible. And sometimes I would make... Um, office hours with them, and I would sit down and chat with them one-on-one. And I remember growing and um, being enriched during that time in my life. But you know, I would have given up everything, all the classes, all the degrees, uh, all the credentials. If one of those professors that I admired from afar would have said, hey, Sam, I've been watching you. I want you to come and follow me. Just stop what you're doing. Stop whatever you're, you're, you're achieving or trying to strive for. Just come and follow. I'm doing this new thing. I'm doing this new thing. I just want you to follow me and come join me in this new thing that I'm doing. If one of those professors had done that with me, these professors that I admired from afar, I think I would have done it. I think I would have done it because these are people that I looked up to and admired and was looking for that kind of mentorship and guidance in my life. And the thing about Jesus is that he's doing this to us, for us, all the time. He's calling out to us. Come, follow me, he says. Come, follow me. Stop what you're doing. Drop what you're doing. It's not as important. Come and follow me. The Christian life really is like a journey, a following after the master, 
following after the Lord Jesus. And he will lead you one step at a time on that journey. But it's a lifelong journey of discipleship. I want to close by sharing with you three practical things that you can do in this journey of discipleship and some of the things that I've experienced uh, over my life. The first thing is just to press in, continue pressing in in this following of Jesus, no matter where you are, whether you're at the beginning, middle, or end. I'm almost 50 now, and even today that journey for me is one of excitement and growth. When I think back 25 years ago, when I was 25, things are just as exciting today in different ways. Lots of things I'm learning and growing in today. I was still learning 25 years ago. Some new things, but it's just as exciting an adventure for me as it is today as it was back then. And some of these things, Jesus will be working on your life for our entire lifetimes, cultivating the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, and so forth in our lives so that we become more and more like him in our character. Some things we will learn new as we continue to journey on, discernment, vocation, mission, these kinds of things. But the thing is to press in no matter where you are at. Sometimes you might wonder, what is the Lord doing in my life at this time? It might feel painful and messy at this present season. But it's important because often it's in those seasons the Lord is trying to teach us the most important lessons about faithfulness and prayer and trust in those hard times. But no matter where you are, have the mindset of Peter in the Gospel of John who said at a very critical period in Jesus' ministry when the crowd started to leave Jesus, Jesus turns to his disciples and saying, you don't want to leave me too, do you? What does Peter say? Lord, where else would I go? You have the words of eternal life. Have that kind of mindset. Resolve to follow Jesus and press in, no matter how difficult or painful circumstances may be. No matter even how angry you might feel at him, resolve that you'll stick with him because he is the Messiah. He is the king that God has sent into this world. Second thing, this leads me to the second thing, is be honest. Be honest with the Lord. My journey to this point has not been all easy. There were definitely seasons where I felt really, really challenged in my life. Like I didn't even want to follow. Like I didn't even want to speak to Jesus. I was so angry, so upset with him. I was thinking, how could he possibly, Jesus, have led me to this place where there's so much trial and confusion and pain in my life? Jesus, what are you doing? What are you doing? The difficulties and the challenges seemed almost to overwhelm me. I remember meeting with my spiritual director at that time. And for the entire session, I sat in silence, almost the entire session. I just sat there in silence because I was just seething inside. I didn't even want to engage in prayer with Jesus. I didn't want to engage with conversation. I was kind of like this. Jesus, yeah, Jesus, 
I don't even want to talk to you. But I remember there was a point in that session I started to cry. I started to weep. There was this vision that came to me. I was wrestling with the Lord Jesus. This vision in my mind, wrestling with him, fighting with him. I was like a stubborn two-year-old, not wanting to talk with him. And what the sense I got from him, he wasn't fighting with me. All I received from him was compassion and patience. I was fighting with him, but he wasn't fighting with me. And I felt his patience with me, and I was weeping. Be honest with the Lord. If you can find someone to connect with, I found that to be helpful. Maybe a friend or counselor or spiritual director. That's what it was for me. Just be honest with who you are and where you are. That's the most important thing because Jesus can take whatever it is that you have to throw at him. This leads me to the last and final thing I want to encourage you. And this ties back to the announcement that Jason made earlier in our worship about community groups. It's really hard to do Christian life on your own. It's really hard to do Christian life on your own. In fact, it's hard just to do life on your own, isn't it? And yet, so much of how we structure society today really leads towards kind of an individualism that we just, we have so many conveniences and privileges and things that really we have choices to do, but what that often has done is that caused these divisions or these uh, walls between people to appear. And so we're often, often doing the things that we want to do on our own, this kind of individualistic society. Society has made individualism so easy, and it's so easy to fall through the cracks and not have community, meaningful community. So I want to encourage you to really press in to community because that is not how God has designed us, designed us as human beings. And it's definitely not what he wants for the church. Press into relationship, into meaningful relationship. And so if you're not part of a community group, I'll just put a plug in. Think about joining one, committing to one. You have to take effort to make it worthwhile, to have some sense of a reward from it. It takes commitment, it takes effort, it takes making it a priority. And if you are part of a community group, perhaps think about your role within that community group. We need leaders. Think about if you've had lots of experience in a community group, is the Lord leading you to perhaps become a leader in that group? And now that we're in this phase uh, actively of supporting community groups and even initiating new ones, I invite you to think about where community is in your life. How much of a priority is relationship and community? Steady, committed community in your life. Where is that? 
And the wonderful thing about being part of a church in Granville Chapel is that we have structures in place or we have groups already in place. So just think about where you might find a place where you can find deeper relationship and community. So those three things I'll leave you, leave you with. Press in, press into discipleship, no matter where you are in that faith journey, beginning, middle, or end. Number two, above all, be honest in your relationship with Jesus, in your discipleship. Ask him those tough, tough questions. Bring to him those hard, hard feelings that you have. And finally, don't do it alone. Don't do it alone. That's not how it was intended to be, and that's not how he will call you. That's not how he speaks to us. He'll often speak to us through relationship, through our community, through our church. Let me pray for us. Father, we give you thanks for Jesus and the role model that he served as we see and read in the New Testament that he called people to himself, disciples to himself, and you are still calling us, Jesus, to yourself today to follow you. And we give you thanks that our salvation and our discipleship are not two separate things, but really you intend for us to have these two things fused together. That as we are saved, we are also followers of you. As we follow you, we are saved. We are saved by trusting you and knowing and believing in you and following you and letting you guide us and lead us in life. So Father, would you help us to press in no matter what circumstances we face? Would you help us to be honest with you no matter what we feel? And would you also help us to press into community together? Help us to find these pockets of relationships where we can support one another and we can walk through life and following you, Jesus, together. We pray this in his powerful name. Amen.